This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, September 14th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast has an overview of Apple's latest additions to its iPhone and Apple Watch lines announced at this week's Wonderlust Apple event. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. So let's get to the meat of this episode. How much money are you spending after yesterday's Apple event? Well, it's looking like probably $399 because I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be getting my wife a shiny new Apple Watch Series 9. No new iPhone, no new Apple Watch for yourself. Well, no, because my wife and I both have our iPhone 14 Pro, in my case, and Pro Max in her case, and they're still working fine for us. My watch is a Series 5, and actually, before we started recording, Kirk was like, hey, what's your battery health on that Series 5? And I was like, I don't know. I've never actually thought to check on my watch before. So I checked it out, and it's 74% of maximum capacity, which is not so great. But I've had it several years and it's all right. I mean, I mostly work at a desk and so I can plug it in and charge it once or twice a day if I need to. It's not that big of a deal. We discussed this earlier. We're going to do an episode on battery health at some time in the future because it's something not too many people think of. It represents the maximum capacity that a battery can charge. And over time, through charge cycles, that capacity reduces, which means your battery doesn't last as long. You have to charge it more. And it's a good sign that you need to replace your battery and not replace your device. But we'll do that in another episode. Today, we want to start out by talking about a few actively exploited vulnerabilities in macOS Ventura, iOS 16, and watchOS 9 that were patched in almost record time. That's right. There were two vulnerabilities that were patched. Only one of them applied to macOS Ventura, only one of them applied to watchOS, and both of them applied to iOS and iPadOS. Apple patched them last week on September 7th. And interestingly, this week on Monday, September 11th, Apple released patches for the one previous version of iOS. So we got iPadOS and iOS 15 updates, and we also got updates for the two previous versions of macOS, which was a little bit surprising because... Honestly, most people thought that Big Sur was never getting a security patch again because we're so close to macOS Sonoma's release. But Apple did, in fact, patch that one vulnerability for all of those one or two previous operating systems. By the way, these are all vulnerabilities that came to light because of the NSO group's Pegasus spyware being exploited on an iPhone just a week before this. So when Apple patched all this stuff on the 7th, this was just a week after the Citizen Lab had reported to Apple that, hey, we found a vulnerability exploit chain. This is a big deal. And Apple got on that really quickly and patched these things right away. And also even went back and patched the previous operating systems. And then Google released a patch on Monday. And... Firefox, it turns out, has the same vulnerability, the same CVE number even. This is kind of unusual because a lot of times, because the browsers are a little bit different, they have a different rendering engine. But Firefox patched the same vulnerability yesterday on Tuesday. So we can expect that any browser that is based on Firefox or Chrome 
you know, Chromium based browsers. So that would be Microsoft Edge, Brave, Opera, Vivaldi, all of those are going to get updates over the coming days if they have not already by the time you're listening to this. So pretty significant news. But Firefox doesn't use the Chromium browser engine, does it? That's correct. Yeah, it it has its own separate browser engine. But interestingly, the vulnerability number, the CVE number is the same. So they had the same flaw that could be exploited in the same way is what that essentially means. We also have some macOS malware called macOS MetaStealer. Does it steal things from Facebook? Is that why it's called MetaStealer? There's another one too. So we've mentioned Atomic Stealer before. Atomic Stealer came back with a new campaign. And there's also this thing called MetaStealer. These are being used in the wild in in the case of MetaStealer and targeted attacks. The main thing that you need to know about this, because we know you're really tuning in to get to the good stuff, like what happened in the Apple event, right? So we'll keep it simple and just say, if you're using Intego Virus Barrier, you are already protected from this malware. So don't worry too much about the Stealer malware as long as you've got Virus Barrier installed. Okay, so let's get on to the Apple Wonderlust event. We were talking about this before we started recording. What does Wonderlust mean? Did they mention it? I don't think we need to pay any attention to that. There's no criminology to try and figure out what this means. It was just a word that someone in marketing came up with, and they thought it sounded cool. Only two devices got updated. Well, two families of devices, the Apple Watch and the iPhone, which is pretty standard for this time of year. But Apple spent about a half an hour on their environmental record, their desire to make things carbon neutral, et cetera, which is laudable. But they spent a lot of time, didn't they? Yeah, they they did. They had a whole entire advertisement right in the middle of the live stream with Octavia Spencer playing Mother Earth. And, you know, Tim Cook, by the way, starred in this, uh, along with a few other members of the Apple team. Yeah, it was it was a little bit silly, I have to say. Lisa Jackson, of course, got her opportunity to shine talking about all the green initiatives. So she was both in the ad and then also was featured in the live stream after that. So, um, yeah, lots and lots to say about how Apple is going carbon neutral on their new watches and so forth. A lot of green stuff coming from Apple. It's certainly they're going in an interesting direction. One of the things they've done is they've replaced all their leather iPhone cases and watch bands, and they have a new type of material they're calling fine woven, which is a textile material. Now, in my experience of having a couple of leather Apple watch bands, they don't wear well. I have way too many Apple watch bands, so I wear them like every week I change. And the leather watch bands I've had with a couple of months of wear over the years are are really worn out. I kind of wonder if it's not clear if Apple is doing this for environmental reasons because the cows are still going to emit methane out in the field, whether Apple has weather watch bands or not. I don't know if tanning the weather makes that big a difference, but the amount of weather that Apple uses is a drop in the bucket. However, let's give them credit for trying to move forward. Interesting that Apple sells a Hermes branded watch and watch band. So Hermes is the French luxury company. And Hermes had a number of leather bands that they're no longer selling through Apple, but that they are selling through their stores. So it's really, they Apple can't stop a company like that from selling leather watch bands. But if you want a leather Hermes watch band, you have to go through the company instead of Apple. So 
This is the first year in a while that I'm not spending anything. The Apple Watch Series 9 has a couple of tiny features compared to the Apple Watch Series 8, which I have. So I had a 6. I didn't buy a 7. I have an 8, and I won't buy a 9. Apparently, the 10 is going to be a new design. The features that they've added are, they just seem to be really minor. It's a little bit brighter. There's a sort of a double tap you can do to act on buttons. Now, this already exists in the accessibility settings, but it's slightly different. I'm not sure how yet. And it's a little bit brighter. And... Well, what else is there? This is a faster processor. Have you ever thought that the processor on your Apple Watch Series 5 is too slow? It's not something that most people ever think about, right? No. <laughs> like you, you might you might notice that maybe your watch feels a little bit slow. Maybe especially if you've got an older model, the battery's starting to wear out. You've got you know the latest version but, of. But wait, Josh, Josh, slow doing what? Telling the time? Does it mean that an hour lasts an hour and five minutes because it's slow? No, no, no. But sometimes the responsiveness of even just built-in apps sometimes can feel a little bit laggy. I've seen that happen before on watches. So Okay, fair point. And by the way, Kirk, like you're you're way underselling the brightness change because it's two <laughs> times as bright. It's two thousand nits on the basic series nine model versus only one thousand nits on the series eight and earlier. So Yeah, and the Apple Watch Ultra Two is three thousand nits. They're just piling those nits into those watches. Actually, there's one cool thing. It can go down to only one nit. So if you're in a dark area, you won't annoy people. And that I find really nice. There is another feature on both of these models that would actually be useful. It's on-device Siri. So I guess having the newer, faster processor with the neural engine allows Siri commands to be carried out on the watch instead of going to the server. Now, I notice if I'm not in the same room with my iPhone and I tell my watch, turn on these lights in the bedroom for something, I'm sorry, I can't do that now. And I don't know why it doesn't work over Wi-Fi. It should, but it doesn't. So the, the on-device Siri is actually a nice addition. I have to say that that was one of the surprises that I really appreciated because there were some rumors that there's not going to be any Siri updates until next year. And that was really disappointing to me if that were true, because we're surrounded by AI on all sides, right? Like it's in the news all over the place. Everybody's talking about it, Microsoft and Google and everybody, right? For Apple to not move Siri forward at all when we have other technologies that we can go to instead. We've got Bing AI, we've got ChatGPT, we've got Google's Bard, all of these things that we can go to as a personal assistant, basically, and say, hey, give me an answer on this thing. Why are people going to go to Siri anymore if it's not advancing any further? So I was really happy to see that at least they're making some changes. So Siri is going to be faster for non-cloud requiring tasks because of being able to run on device. And the other thing is that they say later this year, Siri is also going to be able to handle health-related queries, which is really cool. We're getting a couple of, some would say minor updates to Siri, but I'm glad to see that they're incrementing it and not waiting an entire year before they're releasing new updates to Siri. I'll tell you a secret. They didn't have any other new features, so they had to come up with something. I hate to say it, but this is a pretty weak year when you look at the Apple Watch. There's no new design. There's, okay, there's a new material for Apple Watch bands, but that's not a big deal. There's really not much. The, the Apple Watch Ultra 2 gets 
the few features we've talked about, plus it goes up to 3,000 nits. It's like, I don't want to say whoopee, but whoopee. To be fair, they've got some new added underwater features and a new depth app for the Apple Watch Ultra 2. And if you like to go in the water and get wet, these could be helpful. But other than that, it's a pretty weak year. But Kirk, they also mentioned that NameDrop is coming to watch OS. NameDrop is coming to watch OS, but I believe that that's going to be on all models, regardless whether they're new or old. I didn't look the compatibility, but I'm pretty sure it's anything with an NFC chip. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what models support it, but yeah, I did get that impression during the presentation that this is more of a watchOS feature and not necessarily so much of a Series 9 and Ultra 2 specific feature. NameDrop, by the way, is the thing where just like with the iPhone, Apple announces at WWDC that if you bring two iPhones close together, then you can share contact information. Well, you can now do the same thing as well with the Apple Watch if you have a, a recent enough watch model. And if the other person does. So if you meet a stranger on the train, you can bump your watch up to their watch before you get off and you can have their phone number and you can see what happens. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the plethora of new features added to the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Pro. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay. We had hardly any new features for the Apple Watch models, and we have the iPhone with, I don't want to say hardly any new features, but hardly any new features. Here's the thing. In recent years, Apple has introduced features on the pro models with the iPhone, then brought them to the standard models a year later. Last year was a big change in the iPhone camera for the iPhone pro models. It went up to 48 megapixels, which was a big change from a 12 megapixel camera they'd had for years. This year, the 48 megapixel camera comes to the standard iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 plus models. So that's a pretty good deal. They also get brightness up to 2000 nits. Everything's got brightness up to 2000 nits all of a sudden. There is a feature that I think is kind of interesting, voice isolation. So if you're on a phone call in a noisy area, and Apple showed this in a farmer's market, you turn on voice isolation and eliminates the background sounds and your voice will sound clearer. That's pretty practical. However, However, the way that they demonstrated it made it look like 
this is something you have to manually turn on. And so right. th- the person on the other end of the call was like, oh, I'm having trouble hearing you or something. And the person was like, oh, hang on. And then they turned on this feature. It's like, wait, shouldn't it automatically turn on? Like, that's really obnoxious if you've got to know that somebody else is having trouble hearing you and turn it on manually. Okay. The other feature in the US only is a roadside assistance by satellite feature. And it's true that I mean, I'm in the UK. I can't imagine being in many places where I'd be outside of cellular reception entirely. But if your car breaks down in the US, you're in the desert, you're in the middle of nowhere, out on Route 66, you may not have cellular access. If you have a problem, you can use this roadside assistance by satellite, which is similar to the SOS emergency by satellite that Apple introduced last year. AAA is going to come and fix your tires and sort you out or tow your car, whatever necessary, if you're out of cellular range. I think this is a good idea. We'll see this in other countries potentially. Again, coverage in the UK is really good in most of the country. Maybe up in Scotland or out in Wales, in in less populated areas, it would be a problem. By the way, this roadside assistance via satellite, as I understand it, is also coming to all models that currently support emergency SOS. So this is not exclusive to the new iPhone either. Some of the other things that are also coming to the iPhone 15 base model, they're getting the A16 Bionic chip, which is the same one that was in the iPhone 14 Pro last year. Basically, if you were looking at a 14 Pro last year and thinking, oh man, like that's got some really good features, but I can't quite afford it. Maybe I'll wait another year. Well, guess what? If you got the 15 this year, the basic 15 model, the cameras significantly improved. It's got a much better processor that was basically last year's pro processor. It's actually a pretty impressive base model now. I mean, for 800 bucks, like you can get a really nice phone, I think, with the 15. Okay. The iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max, they come in a new case material, titanium. This doesn't sound very exciting because I always put a case on my iPhone, but it is substantially lighter. You save about, what, 30 grams on, I think it was the Pro Max compared to from the 14 Pro Max to the 15 Pro Max is about a 30 gram difference. It's thicker by about a half a millimeter, which might be just enough that it won't fit in the case for your iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max. Length and width are a a tiny smidgen smaller because they say that they've got what do they call it? The smallest borders ever. Remember when they used to call them bezels? They're not calling them bezels anymore. They're calling them borders, which is a more human term, right? Yeah. The thinnest borders ever is how how they put it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the big hardware feature is the action button. So this replaces the silent mode toggle switch, which the iPhone has probably had since the very first model. And now it's a button by default. You press it, it will silence or unsilence ringtones and other audio. But you can map it to other things. You can map it to turn on the flashlight, the magnifier, or to run shortcuts, a whole bunch of things. This is a nice addition, but I wouldn't upgrade my phone just to have an action button. I have mixed feelings about this. I I think overall, this is probably a good move in terms of like the flexibility of that space that toggle switch used to take up and now will be the action button. But the problem is that for some people who really use that switch a lot and like to be able to just glance at their phone and know that silent mode is on or not, you're not going to be able to see at a glance anymore. Like now you're going to have to actually 
activate your phone and check to see whether silent mode is on, which is not great. The other thing that you could do actually with the action button, there's distinct haptic feedback for each state. If you're using that action button to silence your phone or unsilence your phone, you can do that in your pocket. You can just put your thumb on it or whatever and silence or unsilence it and tell by the vibration whether it's silenced or unsilenced. But it's it's still a little bit of an extra step if you're used to just looking at it and glancing at it. However, on the plus side, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with this. And Apple really made this very programmable. You can even do custom shortcuts. So you can have it do a whole routine just by pressing the button, which is actually really impressive. Right. But you can only program it to do one thing. And that is a bit limiting. I would like to ideally see in the future, maybe one press does one thing, a double press does another, a triple press does another. That would be interesting. The other big change is the camera. And every year we get changes in cameras. And Apple, we talked about recently, there there was talk of a periscopic lens, which is a lens basically on a right angle to have a longer focal length, like a telephoto lens, you need a longer lens. And Apple came up with a clever way of doing this. They call it a tetra prism. Basically, it's a prism where the light bounces off four times. And instead of having a long space, they can compress this with the prism. So instead of having a long space, the prism compresses this distance and they can have the equivalent of a 120 millimeter lens. Now, this is the first time that Apple has spoken about their lenses in millimeters. If you use a, I want to say a real camera, you talk about lenses in an equivalent focal length. And this is based on either a full frame camera or a film camera. A 50 millimeter lens is sort of the standard lens that most people had with film cameras. When Apple talks about a wide camera, an ultra wide, and they talk about a 2X and a 5X zoom, it means nothing to photographers. They showed a graphic in the keynote, and I took a screenshot and I put in my article on the Intego Max Security blog showing the various focal lengths available. It goes from macro to 13 millimeters, 24 millimeters, 28, 35, 48, and 120. Now, if you are a photographer and use a real camera, that immediately tells you what sort of field of view you'll be able to capture with the iPhone. And while most people won't understand this, I think it's a good idea for Apple to start adopting this language going forward. And as somebody who knows very little about photography, I'll I'll have to take your word for that, Kirk. Well, consider this. So back in the film days, everyone would get a 50 millimeter lens. It would be called a nifty 50. It was generally an inexpensive lens that more or less reproduced what you saw with the human eye. Some people say 45 millimeters, 50 millimeters. It's something like that. So you know that if you're shooting around 50 millimeters, or in in Apple's case, you have a 48 millimeter, that's going to reproduce what you see. A wider lens is going to take in more, and a narrower lens, a telephoto lens, is going to take in less. And when you're using a camera with multiple lenses, you start to understand what these mean. Again, most people won't care, but I think it's good to change this language. One of the biggest surprises, the absolute, no one saw this coming, is that the iPhone is now switching from Lightning to USB-C. No one except everyone saw this coming because the European Union required it, even though I've seen a lot of US journalists saying, oh, well, this is Apple had been planning this for years. And I don't think so. I think it's because the European Union required it. And I believe it has to be anything sold by March of next year. I don't remember what the date is. And so finally, USB-C. This is a good thing because... 
I've looked around at my Apple devices. The only thing that I have that doesn't have USB-C is my AirPods, the plain AirPods. They charge with lightning. My AirPods Max charge with lightning. Both of my iPads, an iPad Pro and an iPad Mini, both of my Macs, all three of my Macs, a iMac, MacBook Air, and Mac Mini, they all have USB-C. So the iPhone is the last holdout for lightning. So this was not surprising from a lot of different perspectives, but yes, it is nice to see USB-C now coming to the iPhone as well. Not everybody necessarily agrees with that. You know, you've got people with an entire box full of lightning cables that they've collected over the years. Although if you were really being honest, a lot of those are probably frayed and broken or third-party cables. It's probably time. It's time to, to upgrade. Now, a really important point on this whole USB-C thing is a lot of people made the assumption that if Apple was going to USB-C, that means we're going to get faster syncing and faster backup to your Mac. Well, not so much. On the base models, the 15 and 15 plus, you're only getting USB 2.0 transfer speeds. The same thing as we've been getting on Lightning for all of this time, ever since Lightning came out. That's not so great. At least if you're getting the Pro or Pro Max, you do get faster speeds than that. You do get USB 3.0 transfer speeds, which is up to 10 gigabits per second, which is actually, it's it's pretty decent. It's not the same thing as Thunderbolt speeds, which you actually do get on the iPad Pro. But for whatever reason, Apple decided not to go with the, <laughs> the full Thunderbolt speed on the Pro models. Worth noting that you'll have to buy a separate cable because the cable that comes with your iPhone Pro and Pro Max will not support those faster speeds. That's a bit cheap on Apple's part, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the very least, come on, like this is this is the Pro model. Like, why are people buying the Pro model if not to get all the Pro features? So, so you're just going to include the USB 2.0 speed transfer cable? Oh my goodness! Come on, Apple. Okay, it's a change to iCloud Plus storage plans. The iCloud Plus has been limited to two terabytes for a while. Apple's now offering six and 12 terabyte plans costing 30 and $60 a month, respectively. I can't imagine what I would do with that much data in the cloud. I mean, I use Backblaze for online backups and I believe it's $70 a year. It's going up to $100 a year next year. But if I had to pay $60 a month for the same kind of thing, that's awfully expensive. Now, I've, I've seen people say that this is competitive with what Google charges for their storage. I don't know. I've never really thought about having that much cloud storage. That seems like a lot. I don't know who really needs that other than professionals. Don't know. Yeah, I, I think probably what they're looking to do is like, let's say that you have, you know, a family plan, right? You've got all your devices, everybody in the whole family wants to back up to your family sharing iCloud account. So you've got maybe half a dozen iPhones, maybe you've got some iPads, maybe you've even got some Macs, and you want to back up all of that stuff to one place. Well, maybe one of these like six or 12. 12, I, I don't know, tw I, 12 terabytes is like, <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, you'd really, really have to have a lot of data to back up your entire Mac and everything else to, to the iCloud with 12 terabytes. Woo. Okay. I just want to finish by saying that we've been a bit dismissive of, you know, tiny incremental upgrades because we're comparing them to last year's models. 
if you are like normal people, you probably upgrade every two or three years and you will have an accumulation of tiny features over those two or three years. So these could be compelling upgrades. If you don't have an iPhone 14 Pro, for example, you don't have that 48 megapixel camera. If you've got an iPhone 12 or 13, it's a big leap to the base iPhone 15 to get that extra camera. And the same with the Apple Watch. If you're a few years back, you get a bunch of features that have been added over the years and they all look small year by year. But if you think of a two or three year upgrade cycle, they can be a lot more compelling than you know, what we're used to. Exactly. Yeah. 100% agree. While a lot of people are saying, you know, these are really minor improvements. Yes. But cumulatively, if you're upgrading from an older model, you definitely get a lot of bang for your buck. I would say with both the watch and the phone. One more thing. Can we do one more thing? We don't do that often. We have release dates for iOS and iPadOS 17, which is September 18th, along with watchOS 10. macOS Sonoma is coming out on September 26th. This is earlier than we expected. I think this is the first time in what, more than five years that it Mac OS has been released in September? It was five years ago, yeah, with Mac OS Mojave 10.14. That was the last time, 2018 was the last time that we got a September release for Mac OS. This is actually really cool, and it makes me wonder if Apple is planning on aligning those dates to at least be within the same month going forward again, but I like it. I mean... That's great. It's, the only thing is, for some software developers, that might be a little bit nerve-wracking because if you thought you had an entire extra month to finish you know, polishing up your product, uh, well, now you've got a couple of weeks, so get on that. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.